0: Hey everybody, uh, this is uh, Nevin Gusak, your host at the Patriotic Populist. Uh, with me is my trusty co-host, uh, Herschel Miller. How's it going, Herschel? Oh,
1: Herschel, Nevin, uh, you know, allergy season's setting hard in right now and I'm feeling it, but I'm hanging in there.
0: Yeah, good. Well, at least springtime is indeed around the corner and hopefully this will be the last of the snow and the ice, at least in your part of the country.
1: Oh, yeah. It was 80 something degrees today. It was beautiful.
0: Mm, but, oh, wow. Yeah. Wow.
1: Everything, all the pollen in this country decided to accumulate right here in this little corner of hell. <laughs> 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 oh, shit.
0: I remember only, really, what was it? Not even that long ago, you were like freezing cold and everything. And now it's 80 degrees. Holy moly. Well, see,
1: this is the thing. Pete, now look. Everybody tries to say that their state is the most weather volatile state in the country, and look, I've heard that from Texas to Kansas to Oklahoma, but I will say this here in southeast oklahoma you if you're going to live here very long, you have to kind of assume that the weather patterns are going to change on about a minute by minute basis sometimes. you know, I would say that you know for most places normal places you have four seasons but we don't we have approximately 16 to 20 different sub seasons like fall summer false winter tea summer like when it'll warm up just a little bit and then fall right back into freezing weather so it's just you, you kind of got to get used to it living here
0: exactly yeah, I mean, every state has its, uh, you know, volatile weather. I mean, definitely the Midwest definitely has its extremes of temperatures, tornadoes, thunderstorms, and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, that's it is what it is. Springtime is around the corner. For us, uh, spring will is beautiful here. You know, 80-some-odd-degree weather, uh, lows in the 60s, uh, low 70s. So it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, so I can't complain. Of course, the summers that's when it gets humid, it gets rainy, but I take that probably over the snow and ice and whatnot. At least I can go out with shorts and a short sleeve shirt and whatnot. But, um, so what's been going on? How's your week been, your weekend? Oh, it's see, look, it's
1: been good over the last couple of days, you know. Mm -hmm. Over okay, for the people that don't follow us on Facebook, I encourage you to go over there and give us a like. But one of the things that I have it is it has been the greatest accomplishment so far that I've had is getting the, the 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 Facebook page to 250 likes, which we crossed today. And I was looking back and I was thinking, "Damn, you Facebook's al- algorithm sucks. Like it genuinely sucks. Like, look, I'm not one of the big conspiracy theorists. YouTube is suppress or Facebook is suppressing everybody's content. No, I think that the algorithm is screwed up." I think it definitely favors what you would consider non political content, but it still doesn't change the fact that we've had to fight scratch and claw for every damn like that we've got on the page. And so that was a that that was good. You know, I spent last week working near home so it wasn't that bad. Pretty easy commute each
0: way. I'd have to say last week was pretty good. It was a nice week. Yeah. Yeah, no, I had a pretty good week so far. Actually, I did a uh, story time on video for my job. For those of you who don't know me, um, I'm a uh, library manager in Broward County here in Florida. So I got to do a video story time on one of my all-time favorites, the hungry, the very hungry caterpillar. Did my exercising, got to see my daughter a little bit, particularly at her circus meet. Had one disappointment today. Um, you know, I'm not going to lie, that kind of bummed me out, but then again, at the same token, you know, probably had God has bigger plans for me in this respect. And that's, you know, something more personal, but I was pretty bummed and a little pissed, but you know, it is what it is and you got to move forward the best you can. And, uh, that's it. So, but one thing I will tell you that I'm a little, uh, hot under the collar Is what's going on in today's world. And we're going to talk about it. You got your energy drink. I got Sutter Home California sweet wine to bring in this Passover evening. It's the Jewish holiday of Passover. So uh, happy Passover and happy Easter. Happy holidays to all of our Christian and Jewish brothers and sisters out there. Here, here. Cheers. And really, you know, we were talking earlier offline about Kyle Kolinsky's video discussion and how YouTube is throttling content, and he was discussing it and how it was affecting his uh, the ability to gain new viewers on the show. And, you know, I was also looking at an email from America's Survival's president, Cliff Kincaid, where he talked about how The big technology companies were discriminating against conservatives. And I'm noticing a pattern here. The conservatives need to admit that there is something wrong with capitalism, with unrestrained corporate capitalism. They have to stop shilling with it, for it. They got to stop shilling. Already. Enough is enough. It's time to throw Reagan in the garbage. It's time to throw Milton Friedman in the garbage. It's time to throw Prager U in the crapper already. <laughs> All these shills for freaking corporate, unrestrained corporate capitalism, they need to just throw them off the ship like bilge water, basically. Enough is enough already. And there was a piece by, you know, an excellent geopolitical analyst, one of the best out there, J.R. Nyquist. And he does a lot of great, I think you and I can agree on this, uh, Herschel, he does great work regarding national security issues. He fully understands the threat of Russia and China. He understands the issue of how free trade is g- is really disadvantaged the United States, that trading with our enemies is not a good thing, and that there are problems with capitalism. But then, because I think there's such polarization between the quote-unquote right and left, and left is always wrong because left is always the enemy, people like J.R. Nyquist tend to revert to their conservative, quasi-Reagan-type conservative positions. So in response to somebody who posted in his blog that was, had a very sort of conspiratorial the New World Order-ish, Alex Jones kind of critiques of some of the big corporate capitalists like George Soros and the Rockefeller family and and Bill Gates, formerly the founder and head of Microsoft. So J.R. Nyquist writes, it is a very old idea to blame the capitalists. Shall I now link arms with the Marxist revolutionaries? We are all Bolsheviks now, right and left. No more capitalism is the underlying message as everyone cries out against the 1%. No one seems to understand, and this is the kicker here, no one seems to understand that our comfortable way of life is the chief product of the 1%, however infiltrated and duped that 1% is as duped as the 99%. We are all useful idiots. Now, before you comment, perhaps really the most egregious part of this comment, no one seems to understand that our comfortable way of life is the chief product of the 1%. Bullshit! Bullshit! Okay? Okay? The 1% and the investors, yes, they take the risk and they deserve credit for it if they are starting up their own business, the super corporations. There's no doubt in my mind, but their investment and their capital, their real property only goes as far as the fact that you have to have. Consumers with disposable income to purchase your products and services. And you have to have a motivated workforce. Otherwise, your property and your investment don't mean diddly squat. Mm -hmm. Somebody reading this who is 20 years younger than I am, because I'm 46, is going to read that and be like, who works for a company and just got laid off because to boost the stock price, it's going to be like, well, you know, this guy is just shilling for my boss who just fired me, not because I did a bad job. Let me read you something. It's, uh, excuse me, let me, it was an interesting, sorry, to my listener, to our listeners here. Um, this is a post on the Patriotic Millionaire's website. It's a group of very wealthy people. And again, we're not opposed to the wealthy because they're wealthy. Let me make that very clear for the umpteenth time for the viewers and listeners. So Patriotic Millionaire's, one of their business people or uh, posters, uh, Dan Price posted uh, this piece here. Last year, Kroger, which is a big supermarket chain, doubled shareholder buybacks and dividends to $1.9 billion. Profit soared to $2.8 billion. It paid its CEO $21 million, or 789 times the median employee. It just laid off over 250 employees making minimum wage after cities require four or $5 an hour pay bumps. Okay, these are not useful idiots. These are people that are greedy. Okay, these are sociopaths. Look it up on Google, the phenomenon of corporate sociopathy. It's there. This is the stuff that drove one of our good friends, who we will leave nameless, back to communism. Seeing this and reading these news stories and having things happen to this particular person when he worked for a large corporation. And worked his butt off, our friend Kenny, I will leave his last name anonymous. And in my book, which i researched very heavily, I mean, there's just an incredible amount of plethora of stuff here. Here's a kicker. This is an interview with Nyquist. In an interview, in an April 2020 interview analyst, J.R. Nyquist recalled about his employment with Newsmax. I leave Newsmax because Chris Reddy, who is the head of Newsmax, has decided that he doesn't want to promote what I'm talking about. And in fact, his financial backers want me to stop. Because I have this meeting with the main political advisor to a billionaire who tells me, you have to stop promoting this book. It's a very good book, Origins of the Fourth World War. And you have to stop doing this because the financial and industrial elite will never understand this. And the only way we can defend America against its adversaries, he says, you know, you're right. I'm fishing buddies with Ladislav Bittman, who worked for the assistant chief of the Czechoslovak Intelligence Disinformation Department back when was the old Soviet bloc. He says that he knows the collapse of the USSR was fake. I know the collapse is fake, but we can't convince them, meaning the big business elite, anybody. Because the financial elite wants to invest in Russia and China, and they want to go everywhere. And the only way we can defend the country is we have to get ballistic missile defense and then we're going to be good. So okay, we're going to have ballistic missile defense, but we're going to keep on trading with Russia and China. This is back during the 1990s. They know exactly what they're doing. You're giving them the facts. They don't care because all they care about is money. These are not useful idiots. These are people that don't care. They have built bunkers to escape a world war or natural disaster. That is well documented. And I'm tired of this. I'm tired of it. They're going against their class interests when they're doing this. You think the Russians and the Chinese are going to be nice to these people? Uh Uh-uh. No way, Jose. Well,
1: you know, Nevin, this is something I got to cut in here. Going back to that original article when he said that the 1% was responsible for all this wealth and abundance that we have in this country, I'd like to ask a simple question. Did Jeff Bezos drive one of them Amazon trucks? No. You? Do you ever think he did? Think he worked in the warehouses? No. You you know, did he? Did he put a nine to five in, or for them, I guess a twelve? Was he working weekends, holidays for nothing? Did he
0: pee in a bottle? No.
1: Yeah. Or I could say the same thing. Did Elon Musk suit up and go die in some foreign shithole halfway around the world? Did you know? And this is the thing. You know, not to be, not to turn into Pete Seeger all of a sudden, but this is one of them things that I'd like to point out: is, is that ain't a fucking thing moving without us. Nothing, nothing at all in this world. The working class can survive without them. They can't survive without us. We could figure out how to make the engines, you know, the the engines of economics run, because we're the ones that are doing the maintenance anyway. So this is the thing that drives me out just, just nuts to no end. Is that when I look around and I say. You know, the last 40 years of U.S. trade policy with people like China and people like Russia. When we end up going to war with China, if that terrible day ever comes, it won't be them that die. It won't be the sons and daughters of the billionaire class that profiteer it off of years of bad trade policy. It's not the the descendants of of Gates that are going to be. You know, rummaging around through the streets, trying to pick up what's left of the U.S. economy after it tanks again, because we've set it up to fail. So what bothers me, and this is why I find myself just getting more spiteful about this stuff every day, is is that, that we have reaped none of the benefits. I mean, yeah, cheap Chinese shit. We've got a little more, you know, readily available TVs and laptops, but we don't have readily available jobs. The housing market is absolutely atrocious unless you're in the top percentile of income earners. Our education system's falling apart. Infrastructure's falling apart, and so we're the ones that are bearing the brunt of the cost. We're the ones that put in the long hours. We're the ones that die in the wars that we don't even want to fight in the first place. But we join the army because we want to get you know get a college education or get the hell out of the shithole we was born in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They so they've reaped all the benefits and caused all this shit to happen, and they won't pay the price for it. So look, don't ask me for you know this is what this is my policy. Don't ask me for no sympathy when these people are swinging from the streetlights. I don't care. They made their bed and they can lie. And as far as I'm concerned, they deserved it. You know, guys like Jeff, you're right. They're absolutely you know great on national you know you know foreign policy not foreign policy foreign security. You know they. I know that Jeff understands the dynamics between the U.S., Russia, and China relations. But nothing is absolute. It's not a 100% thing or the other. You know, when me and you criticize the system, we're not talking about burning the system down. What we're talking about is stopping the system from burning down. An analogy that I would like to put it, it's almost like building a a firewall around a property. So Mm -hmm. you burn off the dead. The the decrepit the, the underbrush that's been you know, building up over the last couple of years. You light that on fire, you burn it out. So when the actual wildfire comes, it doesn't burn your house down. You, you do routine maintenance on stuff. That's what we're talking about. But look, this is what I'll say, is that if you don't burn off that underbrush, if you don't burn off them years of neglect, then when the actual wildfire does come, it's going to take everything with it anyway. And right now, this country is being set up to fail. Because what's going to happen is that as people continue to stack up on the bottom of the economic ladder, as the housing market continues to become more and more inaccessible to you know average people, as education becomes an impossibility, they're going to find their demagogue. They're going to find their despot. They're going to find their charismatic leader. I mean, the conservatives have already found it with Trump, and we've seen how dangerous that is. Mm-hmm. And and I will say this, and this is to the more liberal-minded people that may come across this popular podcast you've got no idea what radicalism looks like. If you think the Trump conservatives are the most radical group in this country, <laughs> you know, Trump's group. Yeah, they did storm the Capitol. Yes. They've got their own crimes to pay for. But what I'll say is this, is that they're a, a, a boy scout patrol compared mm-hmm. to some of the, the forces that are brewing in this country right now. I mean, you're talking about actual fascist and actual communist movements. I'm not talking about where your sociology professor told you in college what fascism is. I mean, real, skull and blown or you know bones death core fascism i'm talking about real soviet red army hammer and sickle communism
0: mm-hmm.
1: what i'm getting to is is that if we don't do this routine maintenance right now if we don't burn off the dead we're all going to die with it and i don't want to die i've got a long life i would like to live i'd like to see my country grow i'd like to see it prosper i'd like for my kids to grow up in a better place than i did and I believe, Nevin, this is why I get so cynical about it. The only way we're going to do that is to band together, because it's, it's always so funny to me that them people are always useful idiots. It's never that they're fucking sociopaths. Right. It's never that they have actively tried to undermine the United States by any means necessary, not out of some New World Order conspiracy, but just because they wanted to make an extra 10 bucks a washing machine that they sent back across the border. Had, uh, see, this is the thing I want to tell conservatives. Conspiracy theories absolutely exist. They're a real thing. There has been countless documented, you know, these super secret government programs through the years that have come out later in life. But I want to say this. What you're seeing in this world right now is not some international world government crypto new world order conspiracy theory. <laughs> you're All you're seeing is the end stage of what, a, what Reaganomics looks like. When you've got the, the the power in this country is concentrated into such a few number of people, and it, and this is the thing is I'd like to tell people power is power no matter how you look at it, mm-hmm. you know, it, I don't care what system you set up it could, we could be in an absolute monarchy right now, we could be in absolute you know communist dictatorship it doesn't matter when you've got a handful of people that collectively control more power than the rest of the country then you're living in an autocracy. We are living in a system right now that will not let the average person get through it. And if you don't believe me, you look at what the government does on a day-to-day basis. You know, right now the pro act is one of the most important pieces of legislation proposed in our government in at least 70 years, which would revolutionize labor laws in the United States, ending right to work, lifting millions of people out of poverty over the next 10 to 20 years. And you don't see it. You don't hear it. There's no mass campaign right now across every channel and every corner of the government to try to pass the pro act right now it's in what i figure is going to happen it's going to bury it. it's going to get shuffled into the senate's you know filing cabinet and that'll be that but this is what i would say to guys like jeff and this is how i'll wrap up on this and let you get on with your point to a guy, like, you know jeff and i want you to say that when i say this i mean this with the best of intentions why are they always just useful idiots and when are you going to start understanding that these people are malicious these people, they're not doing this by accident. They're not building them bunkers in Greenland and, you know, the northern remote parts of North America because they think that this is all going to be sunshine and rainbows forever. They know what they're doing. They know that they have set up a system a worldwide system that affects nearly every culture and every creed of people that's going to collapse in on itself. Are they still useful idiots? Do you think these people are secretly communists that are being influenced by China and Russia, or do you think that these people just don't care? That they're billionaires. They just don't care about the country. They've got no allegiance to it. They're psychopaths. And the sooner that we realize this and the sooner that that, that we come together to understand that, that the problems in this country isn't some massive crypto-communist conspiracy theory, but a its own brand of homegrown bullshittery, <laughs> and then then we can start fixing the problems. But as long as you stay hung up on everything's a communist conspiracy theory, as far as I'm concerned, your input into the dialogue is completely useless. Because if everything is communism, then nothing matters anyway. If the communist influences in this country are so strong that every single facet of our entire economic and political system can be influenced from inside and out, then I say that we built a real shitty political system. You know, and I don't think it's worth saving then
0: yeah, yeah they've they've really forfeited their right essentially to really uh, to have our continued respect to be honest with you I mean that's really what it comes down to um you know there's really not much else to say, I mean. I mean, I can read tons and tons of information here on, uh, you know, why people become radicalized. And you, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And the funny thing is, is Jeff in that interview back from 20, uh, year 2020, I mean, he basically said that the financial elite refused to put money in because they wanted to do business with Russia and China. They know how bad it is over there they know what kind of governments they are it's not like uh you know these are sort of your babes in the wool kind of individuals who uh really have a conscience to be honest with you they don't they don't care they really just don't um you know and that's part of the that's part of the issue that's a large part of the issue these are the individuals that have You know, uh, traded with the National Socialists in Germany and the Italian fascists and Imperial Japan, at least until World War II started for the United States. Um, You know, they were trading with the Soviets. They trading with the Russians under Yeltsin and Putin, who are still anti-American China. They knew that these governments were... Uh, had attack plans against the United States. The information was publicly available. It was hotly contested in Congress, but the business lobby just did not care. Most of them did. The, The big corporate lobby, you know, and I did a live stream, a solo podcast, where I described how Elon Musk was basically saying that the American people and the American workers are lazy and entitled compared to the Chinese and that China's a a dynamic society. And so the Tea Party types and your America, you know, love it or leave it types, well, they'll say to Jane Fonda, well, you know, you're, you know, supporting North Vietnam and you pose with the Soviet-made anti-aircraft guns in the North Vietnamese Air Defense Forces and everything else. You know, you should get out of the country and be prosecuted for treason. Well, maybe Musk wasn't doing anything blatant like that, but where are the conservatives telling the big corporate heads like Elon Musk that, you know, maybe you should pack your ass and go to China if you love it more than you love it in the United States. Because as I said on my live stream, what they really like about China and some of these teabagger conservatives that say, well, America has so much welfare in China. You know, the reason why they're competitive is because they're business friendly and they don't have welfare, like Michelle Bachman said years and years ago. They just want another Gilded Age. That's what they like about communist China. I mean, there were some of the funders like Lamont Lamont DuPont and other corporate executives, some of them who funded right-to-work campaigns back in the day. Some of those corporate executives were also the most enthusiastic uh, boosters of trade with Stalin's Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. And they liked how Stalin smashed independent union organizing. In the 20s and the 1930s. And Mm -hmm. later, these folks were giving money to anti-New Deal crusades like the American Liberty League. And then later, the Right to Work uh, movement, which, by the way, was predicated on anti-Black racism. For those of you who don't believe me, just Google Vance Muse, and you'll see how all that started.
1: Yeah. I can say from experience, you know, I work predominantly in Arkansas. Arkansas was the first right-to-work state, passed in 1946, a year before Florida. Mm -hmm. Our Union Hall, IBW Local 700, I believe, now, I'm going to say this, now, if I'm off by one or two, then I'll take that, but I'm not off by more than one or two locals, is the second lowest-paid Union Hall, IBW Local, in the country.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: There's no coincidence See, the thing is, is that Arkansas got ahead of its anti, got on its anti-union policies before anybody. Even before right to work, the Bourbon Democrats made sure that union movements were sporadic at best in Arkansas. And it didn't help the fact because Arkansas wasn't industrialized like other states around it. See, this is one of the things I'm going to say this, and I want it to be understood that I'm talking from a historical perspective more than any ideological perspective. Northern states didn't unionize first because the people there were enlightened or ahead of the curve.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: What happened was that the North had more industry and the unions originated predominantly out of industrial sectors of the economy and then spread Mm -hmm. outwards. So states that didn't have heavy industry, uh, Mississippi, Alabama, Arkansas, Texas, these places where industry wasn't that common or at least wasn't the focal point of the economy, tended to not have as strong union movements. Arkansas was one of the worst examples of this because you had a deeply poor population already with a severe lack of manufacturing and a bourbon Democrat elite that absolutely despised its population. And it was just this, this hodgepodge and shitstorm of... of anti-union, anti-labor policies that led to Arkansas continually being one of the poorest states in the country. Mm-hmm. And and look, I'll say this. I understand that non-right-to-work states have higher cost of living than right-to-work states. I'm not economically literate. I understand that. But when you look at the bigger picture, of the, the equation, right-to-work states are always worse off than non-right-to-work states. Mm-hmm. You know, Yes, cost of living is more, but it's not so much more, or not as much as you would think. I mean, Nevin, what would you would say a two-bedroom apartment go for down in Tampa? Which, by the way, is one of the most expensive places to live in the country. I'm not taking that away. Mm -hmm. But what would you say a two-bedroom apartment would run you in
0: Tampa? Well, Tampa, I'm not sure because I don't live in Tampa, but I would imagine it's pretty expensive. Um, However, down here in Coral Springs... Easily fourteen, 15, anywhere from fourteen to seventeen hundred dollars a month. So you would have to work if you were going by half of your income going to
1: uh, half of your income going to housing. Let's say what would that be? It'd be about twenty to twenty-five dollar an hour job that you would have to have mm-hmm. to pay for your house. But that's a good job for here. Mm-hmm. People around here would literally kill somebody for a twenty-five dollar an hour job if they could help it. You know, most of the jobs in Arkansas are, in this part, eastern Oklahoma, western Arkansas. You're talking about 14 to $15 an hour jobs being the better jobs. Once you start getting up into the 20s, the only people you're talking about then are skilled tradesmen, forklift operators, truck drivers, people like that. But as far as the line workers, there's not a lot of $20 an hour jobs. They're there. Don't get me wrong. Don't give me the line. But what I'm saying is, is, the majority of the people that are working in eastern Oklahoma and western Arkansas are working for less than $40,000 a year. But our housing is still going to run you six to seven dollars a month, $100 a month minimum. So what I'm getting to with this point is, is that yes, Arkansas and Oklahoma are right to work states. Yes, the cost of living is lower than in non-right to work states, but it's not so much lower that you would think that, oh, man, these guys can just work for nothing and get ahead in life. Like, no, there's a lot of people I know making, you know, $12 an hour trying to support a family on. It's almost forcing people to have dual incomes. You've got to have your wife working with you, you know, because if you don't, you'll just never make enough money to get ahead. Unless you're, like I said, a skilled tradesman, a truck driver, a forklift operator, somebody like that. But this all goes back to the original point with Elon Musk. (laughs) Look. Elon Musk is a is an average guy's idea of what a smart person is. Mm-hmm. Elon Musk's family made their money on diamond mines in South Africa. Or not diamond mines. Uh Nickel, cobalt, I can't remember. It was one of the 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 precious metals that they that they pull out of South Africa. Mhm. it was virtually a slave labor force during the apartheid. Right. Elon Musk took millions and millions and millions of dollars from the U.S. federal government in grants and loans to help run Tesla. So There's no reason to me that the company shouldn't be publicly owned. Um, do I hate Elon Musk? No. I'm, I'm not sitting here saying that he's like Satan that reincarnated. What I'm saying is, is that people try to put, put, put him up on his pedestal as the, the new Tesla when, in fact, he's the new Edison. He's a guy that has a lot of money, and he can throw that money around surround himself with really smart people and then take all the credit for it like he's Einstein reincarnated.
0: Well, and this is, this is the thing. We have no problem with people because they just have great wealth. That is not the issue. Because you're going to get the teabaggers and the libertarians and the people that base their economic views in reading the Wall Street Journal and Ludwig von Mises. But the fact of the matter is, is the, the wealth itself, and the trappings of wealth are not the problem it's how the money is made number one number two it's also the dominance by plutocrats of our government where they control the government the left doesn't control the government i'm sorry it doesn't it's not to say that the left doesn't have influence and doesn't have power but hell they couldn't even get $15 minimum wage. Yeah. They brought down the check to two one $1,400. Joe Biden has not signed an executive order canceling student loans.
1: And he's not going to either.
0: Of course he's not going to do that.
1: You know what pisses me off so much about that, Nevin, is, is that it's approximately $1.8 trillion in federal student loan debt that's currently on the books we could pay that off and not affect anybody. So like we, we hand out trillions of dollars worth of bailouts on a yearly basis. They might not be as overtly like an overt bailout like it is in the 2008 mortgage, you know, subprime mortgage crisis. But it is like, you know, like when the, I'll give you an example to people. listening to this. The federal reserve pumps money into the market to stabilize it. When it starts having a rough trading session, they do this all the time uh in in september of 2020 i remember this because i shared an article and i point back to it when people try to say that the trump economy was a stable economy the fed pumped i think it was 800 billion dollars or 600 billion dollars into the economy between i believe it was late july and mid september to stabilize the 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 the, the uh, what is the derivatives market or some bullshit like that mm-hmm. <coughs> So they done that. So that's that, that's not half, but that's getting close to half as much money as it would take to get rid of all student loan debt. And you tell me which one would be more effective on the average person's life. See, if we forgave that, I believe it's 1.9 trillion. Now that I think about it, that $1.9 trillion in student loan debt, you would have millions of people across this country that would now have more money to spend on tangible assets, housing, cars, they could save money. They could, you know, one of the biggest reasons that people don't start family right now is student loan debt. That's statistically one of the biggest reasons is because they can't, they're they under so much debt that they can't do anything. You're going to have to excuse me for one second.
0: Yeah, no worries. No worries. You know, and getting back to where Herschel was saying, uh, while Herschel takes care of some business here, it's all about funding priorities. It's all about Who controls the government? Average working men and women of all races do not control the government. Who controls the government? The 1%. They control the government. It is what it is. And that's why you have those lopsided benefits that Herschel was talking about. These bailouts, tax cuts, for the multinational corporations. You know, 83% of the benefits of the Trump tax cut. Went to the one percent when the former uh, head of the National Economic Council—I believe that's what the body is called—Gary uh, Cohen from Go- head, one of the heads of Goldman Sachs, that Trump, you know, blasted Hillary Clinton about, rightfully, I might add. But then Trump appoints a bunch of these Goldman Sachs. In uh, executives to his administration. So we went when he was trying to rally people for the tr- Trump tax cut, the Trump, Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell tax cut. He said, oh, you guys going to create more jobs? Come on, are you guys going to create more jobs? This is Gary Cohn was saying. Only a couple of the uh, fat cats raised their hands. AT and T and a bunch of other companies started to lay people off left and right. Even Trump's good buddy Mike Lindell of My Pillow laid people off. Good Christian man he is, and his company was doing well.
1: Yeah. Well, see now, and this is—I want to steer this conversation into it because it came up today in one of the posts that I made. Mm-hmm. The Republican Party is not populist and is not pro-worker. See, right now, the Republican Party is going through this rebranding effort where they're trying to make themselves out to be the party of the working class. And what's funny to me is this, is that I believe, I can't remember when it was, but it hasn't been that long. Mitch McConnell was talking on, uh, to, you know, basically speaking about the Democrats trying to ram through legislation. And he's like, well, when we've got the majority, maybe we'll push national right to work laws. Now, it was, might have been a little tongue in cheek to most people, but to me, It's not tongue-in-cheek. The Republican Party would love nothing more than to pass a national right-to-work law and finally throw the haymaker, you know, put the death nail in the coffin of the American labor movement for at least the next 20 to 30 years. The Republican Party has supported every tax break, every outsourcing bill, every trade deal, every pro-corporate, anti-worker policy that's come down the pipe in the last 60 years. Yes, there are people in the Republican Party that I would say are more pro worker than they are anti worker. I will say that Donald Trump was not the worst Republican president that we've had on labor. He was not great; he supported the National right to Work bill, but I'll say that he did do a certain amount of things that I do agree weren't terrible for workers, most notably being the trade deals with the trade war with China.-
0: mm-hmm. yes.
1: but what I'm getting to though is, is that the the Republican apparatus has always been and will always be, and speaking in, in relative terms, anti-union and anti-worker. See, the Republican Party, right now there's the, the big thing right now is that the Republican Party is trying to paint trade unions as you know tied to the hip of the Democratic Party. And and to be fair, they are. Exactly. But one of the things I'll point out to people is trade unions are tied to the hip of the Democratic Party, not because the Democrats are great on labor because they are definitely not great on labor, but it's simply a case of the Democrats will at least pay them a little lip service and they don't have to worry about their very survival under a democratic administration. But under a Republican administration, union rights are always under threat, always under fire. And it's just pragmatism. At the end of the day, you got to pick who'd you'd rather be with. Now I'll say this. I'm a union guy. I'm definitely not happy with the way that the international works all the time. But to me it's 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 a pragmatic choice to look around and realize that corruption exists and will always exist. and there will never be a time in human history as long as that we operate under what we understand to be the human condition that corruption will not exist when power is there. So what I had to do to myself say to myself is what kind of corruption am I willing to deal with? And to me personally I would rather take union corruption, dirty union bosses, than what we've got right now. And that might sound terrible to some people that would say, well, why don't we just get rid of the corruption? Well, look, that's a great idea. That sounds awesome. Figure out how to do that. You know, because the way I see it, if you look at what's happening in Bessemer, Alabama right now, Mm -hmm. Amazon, one of the most wealthy, profitable corporations that have ever existed. I wouldn't go so far as to say the most profitable, but definitely one of the most profitable organizations ever to exist. Has went on an all-out assault on the unionization effort in Bessemer,
0: Alabama.
1: Mm -hmm. And I already know what's going to happen. When that union vote happens in two days and that if it does pass, they'll just shut the factory down.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: That's just what will happen. They'll shut the warehouse down and move it. But what I'm getting to, though, is, is that would you rather have Jeff Bezos or Lonnie Stevenson, president of the IBW, as somebody that you that, – that, who, who would you rather be around? You know, would you rather have James Hoffa or would you rather have uh, Elon Musk? Yeah, I'm not going to claim any of these guys are great, but at least when I'm in a union, at least when unions are strong in this country. The middle class, the working class, these people, we make more money. We have better standards of living. Our jobs are better. You're not having to piss in bottles because they won't let you come off the line. You're not having to wear diapers because you can't go on a bathroom break more than once in between lunches. Mm -hmm. You know, the conditions right now in the Amazon warehouses are as close to the Gilded Age as you can find. Exactly. So, again, and this is why I've thrown my full support into the Bessemer Unionization, is... If we could do that, if Bessemer unionized, and Evan, I know you're going to want to talk about this, mm-hmm. it would be the biggest victory for the American labor movement in at least sixty years. Exactly. You know, of all the places in the country, the Amazon Union, where you know the most anti-union company in the mo- one of the most anti-union states in the country. I mean, if any, if they could unionize, anybody could unionize and for me personally I, I if they pass man i think that you know there'll be so much change in this country it'd be unreal because that would give hope to millions of workers that are trying to unionize so now what i'm going to try to quit talking cuz i've been talking for a minute but what do you think about that
0: no i i i throw my support 100% to the uh, the Bessemer <clears throat> the union organizing drive in Bessemer just like i pers- privately supported The union, the UAW drive at the Volkswagen plant in uh, Tennessee that all the Republicans and the teabagger globalists like Grover Norquist tried to shut down, unfortunately, successfully. Um, And Volkswagen even wanted its own work council there, too. It's German company. They they had no problem with labor representation, too, as well. And, um, you know, unfortunately, in the South, and I personally, I like Southern people. I do. They're friendly. They're nice. They're well mannered, polite aspects of Southern culture. I like the chivalry and whatnot. But there's a very ugly side to an anti-populist culture and nothing. And one of the things, excuse me, just my eyes are bothering me. I'm not sure why. Um, One of the things I would love to see is finally uh, the triumph of a healthy multiracial populism in the American South, and frankly, throughout the United States, because populism and civic nationalism is under assault in this country. And, you know, it reminds, uh, the discussion where this is headed uh, reminds me of a speech that Martin Luther King Jr., the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. gave. And he talked about the roots of the reactionary opposition to populism. And there was a time in the South as Reverend King spoke about where white workers and newly freed black slaves were forming populist coalitions in the deep South. But the Bourbon Democrats, the ones who at the time cried, we love liberty and we love Constitution. We love property rights. You know, those people, they were the ones who put the Jim Crow laws in the South. You know, the same Republican teabaggers and globalists that say, oh, you know, the Democrats, well, the Democrats are just the, you know, the... uh racist party. They're the same Democrats that gave us Jim Crow. No, New Deal Democrats, liberal Democrats, they are not the ones that gave us Jim Crow, you dishonest bleeping, bleeping, bleepins. Okay. Two different types of democratic parties and two types of traditions. That's what they don't point out. But let's read a little bit about what King said, because this is a very important speech. I want to segue this into something positive here. Uh, you know, ba ba okay. As King said, and as the noted historian C. Van Woodward in his book, The Strange Career of Jim Crow, clearly points out, the segregation of the races was really a political stratagem employed by the emerging Bourbon interests in the South, the reactionary plantation owners, the you know the oppressors of sharecroppers and local business owners, elements of them at least, emerging jim crow the segregation of the races was really a political stratagem employed by the emerging bourbon interests in the south to keep the southern masses divided and southern labor the cheapest in the land you see it was a simple thing to keep the poor white masses working for near starvation wages in the years that followed the civil war why if the poor white plantation or mill worker became dissatisfied with his low wages. the plantation or mill owner would merely threaten to fire him and hire former Negro slaves and pay him even less. Thus, the Southern wage level was kept almost unbearably low. Towards the end of the Reconstruction era, something very significant happened. That is what was known as the populist movement. The leaders of this movement began awakening the poor white masses and the former Negro slaves to the fact that they were being fleeced by the emerging bourbon interests not only that but they began uniting the negro and white masses into a voting bloc that threatened to drive the bourbon interests in the command post of the political power in the south to meet this threat the southern aristocracy began immediately to engineer this development of a segregated society i want you to follow me through here because This is very important to see the roots of racism and the denial of the right to vote. Through their control of mass media, they revised the doctrine of white supremacy. They saturated the thinking of the poor white masses with it, thus clouding their minds to the real issue involved in the populist movement. They then directed the placement on the books of the South of laws that made it a crime for Negroes and whites to come together as equals at any level. And that did it. That crippled and eventually destroyed the populist movement of the 19th century. Bam! And people like those reactionary, free-trade, hypocritical Republicans that love right to work, which was an invention of globalist business interests in the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and racists like Vance Muse, they are the inheritors of reactionary, anti-American, anti-nationalist, anti-popular Bourbon interests, okay? Most of the Southern senators and the Tea Party-type groups and the Koch network and their gaggle of free-market libertarian economists, they are the inheritors of Bourbon ideology. Their rhetoric mirrors each other. Sure, they don't use racist terms, They don't use uncomplimentary racial slurs. They use more sophisticated tactics. But the outcome is the same. It's to screw us. It's to oppress us. While they forge trade deals with China and go against tariffs on red communist Christian-hating China, those godly Christian men and women in the republican senators from the south and frankly from all over the country So, what do you have to say about dr king's speech right there well i'll tell you it's amazing
1: how applicable that is to our times you know look i'm from the south i've lived in one of the most southern parts of the country for a long time and one of the things i'll say is this there was a speech. you ever watch that movie mississippi burning oh yes yes absolutely great movie Gene Hackman was talking to, I uh, can't remember his name. doesn't matter. The, the other DeFoe? FBI detective, really? detective.
0: William Defoe?
1: Yeah. He, Gene Hackman was talking to William Defoe. and that, there was, It was kind of this big monologue where Gene Hackman was talking about his young, younger days. And I'm not going to use the explicit language so that we don't get demonetized. But <laughs> basically what it come down to is, is that a black man in the community had a mule. Nobody else did. Mm -hmm. So the white folks in that area come down and they killed that man's mule. Mm -hmm. And they killed it so that a black guy didn't have better than they did. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Now, look, people. When I make critiques of the system that we live in, I try to always give the understanding that people have been born and indoctrinated into a system that is what we are. You know, I'm not mad at the Trump supporters that stormed the Capitol not i haven't been i mean yeah what they did wasn't right what they did was one of the most disgusting acts in u.s political history but i'm not going to sit here and just beat them to death because they're at best pawns in the game far bigger than themselves exactly what i'll say is this from the time that i was knee high to a grasshopper i heard people that were talking about welfare queen this and lazy people that and Oh, all these people, they just they just suck up all the welfare and they don't do nothing. And they just sit around all day, drawing that government assistance and they're worthless. And look, I work hard for what I've got. And I'm not going to sit here and say that I like lazy people because I don't. And I and I'll say this. You can quote me on this as many times as you want. Anybody that ever watches this. I will never advocate for a policy that rewards laziness. Mm-hmm. I'll advocate for policies that reward people for trying to better themselves or, you know, people that, that need assistance. I've got no problem in the world. Our government should be set up to help people that are in need. That's what a government does. But as far as people that are gaming the system. Yeah, no, I've got no sympathy for them. But we spend one hundred and six billion dollars a year subsidizing companies paying less than fifteen dollars an hour for housing assistance. Food. stamps. These are working people. The U.S. government pays, you know, Walmart, one of the world's worst examples of this. Walmart by itself takes in more welfare from the U.S. federal government than a huge chunk of all the welfare recipients in the United States combined. The Walmart gets does this, and this is how they do it. So Walmart doesn't pay people anything. And yeah, they might say, well, we pay you $16 now. They pay an, an associate, you know, that fancy word they come up to not just say wage, you know, never mind um they'll say well we pay an associate 16 an hour but then they'll work them 29 hours a week they'll cut hours they'll they'll make sure that you never get overtime they'll make sure that you never get ahead they like to furlough people whenever they're close to their six months that way they don't have to start paying them health insurance when they do work over 40 hours a week and it's what i'm getting at is this is walmart has this very good scheme set up where they pay people nothing Make obscene profits overall, and again, this is economies of scale. I know that Walmart only makes about two to three percent over cost on any item that they sell, but on the scale, on the large, you know, end of it, you're talking about an economy that would be larger than a huge chunk of third world countries in and of itself. Um, and the U.S. taxpayer is subsidizing their labor, the U.S. taxpayer is subsidizing the trade routes going around the world that they sell all this cheap shit to. U.S. taxpayers subsidizing the lobbyists that go up to Congress. What I'm getting to is, is that Walmart is the most egregious example of welfare queens that the U.S. has to offer. But you don't hear conservatives talking about that. Conservatives like to to to, to focus on Roberta from West Memphis. You know, mm-hmm. they they painted this character of this woman with six kids. You know, cigarette in one hand and 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 you know, malt liquor and the other walking around dragging kids behind her on a leash on her way to the, the welfare office. It's like, yeah, that happens. I'm not stupid enough to deny that there aren't people that game the system. What I'm saying is, is that woman at worst has a marginal effect on our, on my life. You know, but in the South, what we've been trained to do is to. to I'm better off than that person because I work. I'm better than that person because I actually earn my living. You know, it's the same thing with the, the with the immigrants coming up from the southern borders that people are always on and angry about them. And I've always wondered, you know, look, immigration policy is something that you definitely have to consider, and we can't do a lot of the stuff that we want to do with the free flow of immigration. It just can't happen. Right. But I'm not going to get mad at 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 you know Francisco that's walking across the southern border looking for a better life. I'm going to get mad at that billionaire bastard from Alabama that you know. When that was it, 2019, maybe 2018
0: about Coke Foods, the uh, the chicken poultry processor in Alabama, Mississippi. Well, I'll tell you what happens. I've seen
1: this in my hometown. OK Foods. One of the things that they love to do is that they'll hire immigrant workers in on green cards and visas. And these are not undocumented immigrants, but they're still Mm -hmm. immigrants nonetheless. And what they'll do is they'll -hmm. hire in people on green cards. and. Basically, they've got them in a position where they know that they can't complain. Now, look, nobody likes working long hours for no money. Nobody. I don't care. You just get that idea out of your head. People are people at the end of the day. I've never met a man in my life that I believe, well, I say that I've met a couple, but the majority of people I know don't want to be at work. They go to work because you got to work, because you got to make a living. Exactly. Them people are no different. And this is what happened. Finally, pulled me away from most of conservatism is when I started to look around and I realized that then people coming across that border, and people in West Memphis, and people in Oakland, and people in Kansas City, and Mem- in 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 St. Louis, they any different than I am. They've grown up in the same damn system that's unfair and unforgiving as it is that's ruled that, that 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 they know they don't have any voice in, and. What's even worse about all this is, is that the Republicans are definitely not the only party to blame. The Democrats love identity politics. I mean, just freaking love it. And one of the things, the most disgusting acts that I've seen in this country is that you see it every time you turn around turn on the news is that they're trying to play one side against the other. You know, it's everything in this country right now is some white supremacy power hierarchy or some bullshit like that. And look, I'm not going to sit here and, and debate back and forth on that because I don't really have the patience or the care to right now. But what I'm saying, though, is, is that that I have not personally in the course of my life that I know of. I have never affected somebody's life in West Memphis. You know, I've never I didn't cost somebody a job. I didn't shut somebody's school down. They didn't steal my job. They didn't try to defund my school. That's not working class people doing that. To You know, we're not killing each other. We're not the reason that this country has fallen apart. And this all goes back to what Martin Luther King was saying there at the end when he said that when the, when the Bourbon Democrats set up the Jim Crow laws, it destroyed any real chance at a, a coalition, a populist coalition of black and white working class folks coming together to, to really improve each other's material conditions. Because when you divide people up and you separate them off into groups and you tell them that this group can't associate with that group, then you'll never find any cooperation. And and to me, yeah, Jim Crow was absolutely don't misquote me for saying this. Jim Crow is absolutely worse than what's going on right now. You know, but what we're doing today and its effect won't be much different, as long as 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 these main and these news outlets that they peddle this for ratings because if your news is driven by profit, then they're going to find the most profitable way of telling stories. And that's shock drama. That's yellow journalism. It's William Randolph Hearst.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so these, these news outlets, they'll pump up these stories. They'll pump up these, these, uh, these shock journalist things, you know, white supremacy, this, and you know, the Fox news will do it. They say, horde of immigrants come, you know, do this. And it's just, it's destroyed so much of what what could have been. that it, it, it makes me sick sometimes to think about it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to fix it. I really don't.
0: But I'm sure that you've got an idea how to fix it, Nevin. <laughs> if I had a way to fix that, a surefire way to fix it, I'd be in politics on a much uh, grander scale than I am now. I mean, the way to fix it, I think it's going to have to take shows like this, a proliferation of shows like this. I think we have to plant seeds, and I think we have to wake people up. And it's going to be a long, arduous task. But I'd rather put myself in the fight than rather sitting in the sidelines. And doing this is something. We're reaching people. So... You know, the fact of the matter is, is we have to do something. And the way I look at coalition building is it shouldn't be about discriminating against North, South, West, East, brown skin, black skin, white skin. We're all in this together. And, you know, it sounds like a cliche. We're all Americans. We're all in this together. That's the only way we can put these people These plutocrats that enable extremism, out of control extremism and radicalism in this country, amongst other things, is the only way these people can be put back in their box. And that there is a more of a uh, balancing of interests, which is really what the true power of the federal state should be at this point, dealing with current problems, is balancing competing class interests and racial interests to achieve as best as possible of an equilibrium. But first, it has, any coalition building, it has to come through education. This is why you and I, we have guests, we read historical information, we read news stories, we comment on it, because this is stuff you're not gonna hear on Teabagger Radio Network, funded by Kochs and other globalist reactionary billionaires. You're not gonna hear this an MSNBC or MSDNC. You know, that Crystal Ball and other left populists were fired or Ed Schultz was fired because, you know, again, MSNBC corporate, including GE funded. they didn't want to touch Bernie Sanders with a 10 foot pole and stories about the TPP. So people like Crystal Ball and Ed Schultz, bye bye. You're not gonna hear it on Fox Business which is the most horrendous anti-labor reactionary globalist channel you can think of. It's gross, Fox News, crap. So where are you going to hear this? You're going to hear it on YouTube channels like this. You're going to hear it on Endernax. You're going to hear it on Kyle Kalinske. You're going to hear it on independent media. Which, by the way, the corporations like YouTube, Facebook, Google, they're all cracking down on this. And I don't have to elaborate on it because a lot of people have talked about it. And when are the right-wingers going to say corporate capitalism is a problem? That they are responsible for enthroning them because it's free speech?
1: Oh, they never will. See, this is the thing that's hilarious to me out of all this. Conservatives have spent the last month just freaking the hell out over a toy potato and a couple of kids' books. You know? <laughs> now, look, if you ask me my opinion on modern progressive politics, look, I'm, I really don't give one flying shit about Mr. Potato's <laughs> head gender identity. I genuinely don't. Like, I've told people this when they ask me this. I am economically focused. I am I am focused on on working class politics. Leave your identity politics away. Look, if you want to have identity politics, man, you go for it. I don't give a shit. You're your own person. What I'm saying is, is what I'm focused on is helping rebuild the economic conditions of the working class. But what I'll say about Mr. Potato Head and the Dr. Seuss books, that was not a government order. That was not some policy written by law some progressive lawmaker that was two companies acting under their own free will to generate sales because you know what generates sales better than anything nevin controversy Mm -hmm. when you generate enough controversy it drives sales and you've seen this with nike with the colin kaepernick saga You've seen it with Amazon whenever they take a stand on anything. CBS uh,
0: News with Trump. Their executive said that Trump is the best thing for CBS News, private corporation, because it increased their bottom line. Yeah. And this is what I'm trying to get to, though, is.
1: Corporations, they're not stupid. They're not. And to act like these people are stupid is to really set yourself up for failure because, the, because that. They know how to play the system. What happened is, is that Dr. Dr. Seuss first. Dr. Seuss had about six old books that they really didn't give a shit about anymore. And they thought, huh, how can we drive some sales? Let's say, let's discontinue six old books, citing one or two of them for improper racial comments. And wouldn't you know, every damn copy of them Dr. Seuss books flew off the shelf. People all across the country were running down to Walmart to buy up these books. Walmart even put out a display in some stores that I've heard to buy up old Dr. Seuss books. All you did was make a company richer. They engineered a conflict, engineered controversy, made money off of it, and played you like the idiot you are. Mr. Potato Head, it's cheap identity grandstanding, is what it is. Look, I I, I thought this was hilarious. There was this basically this thing here a while back. Coke put this slight pro-transgender message in one of their 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 uh, uh, ads. Somebody you know commented on it or you know tweeted at the 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 Coke corporate Facebook or Twitter account. It was basically this big you know fawning over each other fest of how progressive they was. A couple of years ago, Coca Cola got hired or caught hiring. Basically, death squads to kill people in South America to help shore up supply ingredients that they need down there. It's uh, some uh, there's a name for it. It's intersectional imperialism is what they call it. Basically, what it is is it's it's all of the horrors of of you know this
0: over this over. It's basically Bill Clinton and Joe Biden. That's what Coca Cola is. they're, They're
1: ruthless ruthless businessmen with this veneer of progressivism. Look, companies do not give one shit about anything unless it's profitable. Mm. That's just it. If you want to know why transgenderism or the LGBT rights or other stuff like that has become very popular over the last couple of years, it's because people began to support it so companies look for a way to make money off of it. You know, these companies didn't put out pro-LGBT ads on the whole until after the Supreme Court ruling, until after a certain percentage of the population became in favor of it. And then it's like, oh, yeah, we're the great progressive companies that we are. Look... There's a great conversation to be had about how how capitalism has driven social issues across this country over the last 20 years. This is a big, great conversation for another day. But basically what it is, is that, that these companies drive controversy. They drive these social movements to make money. Conservatives that want to act like the entire country is being run by this rabid group of leftists right now need to sit it down for a second and think, huh? Coca-Cola has done more. Grandstanding for issues that I stand directly against than nearly
0: anybody. Well, you know, Coca-Cola has funded. I'm sorry to interrupt, yeah. but Coca-Cola has funded the voter uh, the voter laws in Georgia that are arguably going to suppress the African American vote. I'm sure you heard about that. Or right. how about Facebook and Google, according to documents leaked to the New York Times? were one of the donors two of the major corporate donors to the reactionary anti-labor federalist society where republican presidents and senates get their uh, supreme court justices like a, like from a, getting the sausages from the sausage factory yeah. i mean so again this it's it's all driven by profit it's not you know these companies are being controlled by communist conspiracy I mean, yes, they're manipulated by communists. Why? Because the communists know they're fucking greedy. That all they're concerned about is profit and themselves. They don't care about the country. They don't care about morality in a Jewish Christian, in a Judeo-Christian sense. They don't care about all that. To them, that's just cheap punchlines. If waving the flag makes some money, they'll do that. Mm -hmm. While they're doling out you know, greenbacks to the Bolsheviks in Beijing and the KGB uh, heirs in Moscow. Oh, yeah.
1: And it's such a terrible thing to think about that. I mean, look, China is only a threat to the United States because we have decided that they were a good investment. (coughs) If the United States doesn't spend the last 50 years exporting its manufacturing capability to China, China is nobody. China is still in the grips of, well, uh, I mean, it probably would have liberalized over the years, but you wouldn't have seen this shift away from the absolute horrors of early Mao into the still terrible humanitarian crisis, but not quite Mao's purges. Mm-hmm. You know, Basically, what I'm saying is, is that you probably still would have had the same course for China, but without near the manufacturing capability, without near the, the world predominance. Now, look, China, historically speaking, has always been uh, a spot that empires have grown. You know, China is one of the oldest civilizations on Earth. I mean, I'll give them that. China, is, what, we, China has, what, written records from 5,000 years ago? Something like that. It's, it's some insane mm-hmm. thing that I say yeah. Like, no, they're one of the. Years.
0: Yeah, they're one of the cradles of civilization, along with, of course, Mesopotamia, which is modern-day Iraq. Yeah, it was like, it was India and China. The, the, this yeah, great, the uh, valley in India, China and in the Middle East and parts of Africa, North Africa, ancient Egypt. Yeah, but what I'm getting to, though, is that, that China has always been a, a,
1: a regional power. Oh, yeah. yeah it, it has its phases when it breaks up again and goes into one of its 1500 civil wars that it's had over its history. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is that China was always going to be a superpower eventually. It's just an inevitability. All we did was just stomp on the gas pedal for them. They went from backwater country to legitimate world superpower in less time than it took us to get through our first civil war. I'm talking about from the end of, what was it, 1949? Is when uh, the communist forces defeated the nationalists and won the Chinese Civil War? Or was it 47? That's it 49. Uh, 49. So from 1949 to, let's say, legitimate world superpower in 1980, maybe 1990, when would you say that China really crossed the threshold into world superpower?
0: I would say by the year 2000. I mean, they had nuclear bombs since the mid-1960s, uh, but really by 2000, it was really when they took off. I mean, they were, they already, we, we already had a trade deficit with China by 1983 under Ronald Reagan. But it, they really didn't get off until by 2000. So let's say 60 or 50 years, China, it was all it took China
1: to become a world superpower. And you can't tell me that a huge part of that isn't to do with the U.S.'s financial leaders and manufacturers exporting all of our industry away to China. We supercharged China's rise to world dominance. And it, it, it's, it's weird for me, you know, talking in more of a, I don't know, maybe an esoteric way here, but but China is to us what we was to Great Britain a century ago. You know, Great Britain and Europe in general, but Great Britain especially heavily relied on U.S. manufacturing to help fuel its empire. U.S. steel, you know, U.S. products, mm-hmm. you know, and we went from backwater, nobody in the world states to. It took us longer, but by 1945, the United States was, aside from Russia, the indisputed world superpower. Nobody on earth, including the, what was right left of the British Empire, could challenge us. And now China is in the same position. The United States, if we don't figure out what we're doing right now, we're going to end up just like Great Britain. That's right. Because Great Britain stagnated and died. And we're stagnating. And unless this country really changes its perspective on things, unless we seriously consider and do some deep thought and meditation on what the future of this country is going to be, we're going to die. And mm-hmm. not, I'm not saying we're all going to die. No, I'm saying the country, what we hold, you know, the idea of the American Republic will at least in practice cease to exist in our lifetime. If we don't figure out something to do, because China's not slowing down what's about to happen. And this is something I've thought about for a while. China is given another decade or two to a point that they won't need us anymore. With their avenues of opening up trade with uh, Africa, with the whole Eastern European policies and Central European policies that China has been doing over the last several decades, they won't need us forever. See, right now, the United States is China's biggest trading partner or partner. China is dependent on the U.S. buying all that cheap shit off of them to help fuel their, you know, building you know, of their building programs. But what one question I've had for the conservatives that are more than happy to trade with China is, is that what are we going to do when they don't need us anymore? You know, yes, the United States is the world's economic powerhouse. More money flows through the U.S. stock market than anywhere else in the world at any given time. But China could very easily become that, too. You know, after all, with the stock market just being a series of codes and algorithms now, you know, on a computer network. I don't know. Nevin, you're a lot more educated on Chinese policy, though, and I'd really like to hear your thoughts on that.
0: No, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head. I think the United States is for decades as power has been degraded economically, militarily. Um, mm-hmm. You know eventually there's going to be a time where china doesn't need us and i mean we still have assets our agricultural uh products that we can grow in our landmass. but on the other hand we are you know slowly or surely a, a degraded power and china in alliance with russia and other uh, anti-american regimes worldwide they're going to have they're going to gain ascendancy. That's a concern of mine. You have the class struggle enhancing and increasing in the United States, the polarization of the classes. You have domestic radicalism growing. You have many of the anti-communist analysts who are really good on narrow issues. They just are in denial. They're <coughs> they're in, stuck in this world of American exceptionalism and unrestrained capitalism is great and You know that basically it's a bunch of professors indoctrinating the kids, but they're basically incapable of self-reflection unless they want to blame so-called welfare queens, immigrants and whatnot. But they'll never really implement policies or advocate policies that put the big corporations, the oligarchs in place and basically degrade their power. What's going to happen? I don't know. I wish I had a crystal ball. But I think it's going to take a catastrophe that could give people like you and I and like-minded folks an opportunity to potentially write things in this country. It's going to have to come through a hard system reset, essentially. And uh, that's how we're going to get an opening, essentially, uh, to changing things in this country. And it's saddening to say this, but I just don't see any recourse. The fact of the matter is, is our government is not responsive to the greater needs of the people. You look at what happened with the minimum wage. You look what happened with college debt. You look what happened with those $2,000 checks. You just recent examples. You look what's going on with the the voter laws in Georgia. And Republicans, I'm sorry, they are no innocents when it comes to voter fraud and voter suppression. As unearthed documents from North Carolina politics showed, the daughter of one of the big Republicans there, I mean, I forget the name, this came out some years ago, which admitted, essentially, that the Republican establishment was involved in voter suppression. We have a government, a federal government, that is actively at war with all of us. And it's not to say there are not good people in government. I'm saying the real people that fund the government the donors. They are the government, essentially. They are at war with us. And eventually, we're going to have to have a system which keeps them in check. Because it's either people like you and I, Herschel, or there's no stopping Bolsheviks and neo-Nazis from basically killing them. So they better go with people like us. To save their hides.
1: Well, you know, and that's the thing that's always hilarious is that me and you are by far two of the more reasonable people on this side of the fence. <laughs> you know, there's a good chance that them people could still live normal lives under what me and you would prescribe as our better perfect system or what we would call a <laughs> utopian system. I don't think that they would fare nearly as well under the fascist or the communist. Yeah. You know, no. I don't think that Jeff Bezos will find much sympathy from the party of socialism and liberation. <laughs> um, or the
0: National Reformation Party.
1: Well, Nevin, I think that we've talked long enough. We probably bored some people to death, but this has been a really good conversation, and i have enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, me too. It's been a great conversation. It's good blowing off some steam. I think we cut off, uh, you know, covered uh, quite a few issues, some good historical data. Uh, hopefully next weekend, uh, you know, we, uh, will have our guest on, uh, unfortunately you had to cancel kind of last minute today because of some, you know, personal and work related obligations. And that happens. It's happened with me. You know, I was going through quite a bit, uh, in February and March and still going through some stuff, but, uh, so we understand that and hopefully we'll have our guest on, uh next weekend and stay tuned and thank you for joining us and to all of our christian and jewish brothers and sisters out there uh happy easter and happy pesach passover thank you all for joining us have a good night enjoy the rest of your weekend Mm -hmm. okay oh